0: Okay, so the, there's an amazing picture that somebody sent me when I was working on this book of photographs um, and it's of Chanan Wasserman. Chanan Wasserman was one of the G'dayli Adar he was a Talmud of the Chaim and other great uh, great people um, and Chanan unfortunately met his uh, end he was al kiddush hashem he was martyred in the holocaust as well as six million other jews but i guess what makes his Patira, his martyrdom the most tragic was that he was actually in america at the beginning of the war when the war broke out and he had every opportunity to save himself he could have saved himself in fact they offered him positions as Rosh Yeshiva in America, and Tarvadas and other yeshivas. You know, big Rosh Yeshiva said, you take my place, you're the new Rosh of the yeshiva, just stay here, there's a war breaking out in Europe, you're going to get killed, the Nazis are, are on the rise, and you're putting yourself in great danger. Rabbi refused, he said, I have a yeshiva in Baranowitz, which is, that was the name of his yeshiva, and I can't, uh, I can't leave my talmidim now. A captain is the last to get off his ship when it's in trouble. When when a ship is going down, a captain is supposed to get off last, not be the first one to hop a life, uh, you know, lifeboat and get out. So he felt that it would be wrong. And then he went to England after that to collect money. Uh, and the Jews in England begged him to stay. And he again, he didn't stay. He went right into. Into the eye of the storm, and ultimately he was killed, Al Kiddush Hashem, in 1941. So, in 1937, Rebel Chanan also made a previous trip to uh, America, and when he got off the boat in America, in the United States, for as a fundraiser for Beranowitz, he was met by Rabbi Meir Shenkelski. I think that's how you pronounce it, and he was going to be the one that drove him around. He was, it was his job to take the Rashiva throughout his stay in America and drive him to different balabatim to collect money or fundraisers, teas, parlor meetings, whatever it took. And Rav was surprised when Rav first request was to be taken to a Jewish cemetery in Queens. Who knew that Rav Shankalowski was actually in Queens, where we are? So Ruhl-Khanen explained to explained to Rav Shankalowski that I understand you want me to start hitting the ground running and doing my mission of collecting money for the yeshiva, but I have a bocher by the name of Menashe Tzvi Winkler, and he learns in my yeshiva. His father passed away while on a fundraising trip in America, and he <coughs> he was buried in Queens. The Talmud's mother, this. Um, Menashe Tzu Winkler's mother had asked her Chanin to visit the kever of her husband when he comes to America and her was anxious to fulfill the request. And at the graveside, Herbal Khan requested there of Shenkulowski take a photograph of him so that he could send it to the Winkler family. The god laden with so many communal and institutional burdens made it a priority to soothe the heart of a widow. So we actually have this picture of Abu Khanan by the grave of this uh, uh, Rabbi Winkler that was taken in order to send it to his almana to make her feel, uh, to make her feel good. Very rare. We don't have that many pictures of Rebu and This is one of uh, the few that we have, and it's of doing a tremendous act of chesed with an almana. Good question. Um, I don't, but I want to speak to you in a second about about that. I actually know this Winkler was from Denmark, and my father, Alev Ashalom, was also from Denmark, and they knew each other. And he was uh, he, he had a richas He only died maybe a year or two ago. This son, who is a Tamar of he must have been in his high nineties, I would say. And there's very interesting interviews with him about life in Denmark before the war. So it was very, you know, fascinating for me to read as uh, somebody whose family comes from Denmark. Okay. I just want to speak about, thank you, about the cemeteries in Queens. You know, Queens happens to have uh, a fair amount of cemeteries. If you know uh, where the Jackie Robinson is, you ever take the Jackie to get out of... uh, out of Queens, so there's basically two ways to get out of Queens. Either you take the Jackie or you take the the Van Wick. So, um, if you take the Jackie, there's uh, a few big cemeteries in Cypress Hill and uh, Mount Judah, I think it's called. And these cemeteries have tremendous kedali Yisrael buried there. I always say that people. Take planes to. They fly to Poland and to Ukraine and to Russia and to, uh, and to Lithuania and of course to Israel just to visit kivrit Sadikim. They feel you know that's where this rebbe is, that's where this rishiva is, and the chavetz chaim is buried there, chaim is buried there, and the Rebbe the is buried there, and this rebbe and uh, you know rabbi nachum and all and it's all wonderful. It shows that you know these aren't sheep, these junkets that people are making to uh to these far-off countries and they mean well in the name elimelech a great kadusha in these in these but the actual truth is that you could just almost walk it's like i don't know if it's really walking distance it would take you a few hours to get there by foot but by car i literally could get uh from here to there in about 12 minutes these cemeteries, and I, I happened to give tours of it um, this year, in particular, uh, was the first year I got a call from a girl's high school if I could give a tour of the cemetery during Aser Simei Tshuva. So I, I took them, and these, these cemeteries have um, Rav Pam, you know, the Rashiva of Tarvadas, Rav Shleim Haiman of Tarvadas. Um, they have Rabbi Yaakov Yasef, the first Chief Rabbi of New York, a very famous, a personality who suffered greatly here uh, when he came to these shores from Europe. The Chaim's second Rabitzin is buried here. Chavitzheim's Rabitzin. No, yeah, who knew? Like you don't have to fly to Poland or Russia, Belarus, wherever it is that you know Radin is. You just have to go literally a few minutes away, and you have the you have the Chavitz Chaim's Um who else is buried here? There's a great Iluyum of David Leibowitz who found the down the block. Uh, his son, Rab who took over for him. Um, the list, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky is buried there. And uh, tremendous, like, you know, and there's so much to talk about. So I started with one girl's school and then I guess I did a decent job because then a day later, another girl's school called me if I could take them. And then another girl's school called me. At one time I went, it was pouring rain. You remember, I think mean, I told you this. It was pouring rain and I got totally drenched. It was like, everyone got drenched, but it was like a rainstorm like I've never seen before. And we were going from grave to grave and like, you know, it was just, it wasn't very Geschmack, but I mean, it was a perfect mood to be hanging out in a cemetery, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't too enjoyable. But there is uh, in in Queens uh, so many so many that uh, you know that that are really really chashe like filled with geday le israel and um, if you ever you know if you ever want well, maybe we'll make a trip one day we can go ourselves if, if anyone is interested there's an, maybe in yeshiva there's an interest to go and mamish maybe we'll wait for the weather to get a little warmer and then we could go. But it's uh, it's amazing to daven by these mechaimus Kadeshim, and it's amazing that it's literally, you know, a few minutes away from the yeshiva. Okay, um, let's see another another picture. I don't think we we saw this one. You know, there is a a famous Hasidish rebbe called the Rizhiner. The Rizhiner Rebbe was a uh, a rebbe who. Um, conducted himself in his Hasidic court with great royalty and almost ostentatiousness. It's not that doesn't have a positive connotation, but his court was literally affluent and and um, regal and like he felt that a rebbe, a Hasidic rebbe, should be like a king. And so he didn't just have a little shtibol and like a little, you know, like, like what we think about, we think about Chassidish Rebus. He had this huge palace. And then that was for his own private home. Then he had a huge base medrash. And in the base medrash, he had all types of silver and, you know, for the Sifre Taira and for the, for the Yad and for, uh, you know, the, the furniture was all regal. He wore golden boots. He wore golden boots, um, and I think I told you the story that he—that uh, you know people were a little put off by this. You can imagine, like there are Hasidim that were so poor, the Hasidim weren't all rich. Hasidim, a lot of them were dirt poor. They had very little Parnassah, and then the rebbe is wearing golden boots. It's not nice. And one time the rebbe was saying kiddush Levana with a group of his Hasidim. And he was wearing his golden boots. It was in the winter. And when everybody left to go back inside after St. Kiddush Lavan, and it was very icy, they saw that where the Rebbe was standing, there was blood on the ice. And they couldn't figure out, why was there blood? Like, why is he bleeding? And then they realized that his golden boots had no soles on the bottom of it. Why didn't they have soles? Because his entire... Uh, demeanor, acting like this king, like this monarch, like the czar, was only outward. It was only an outward appearance. He felt that as a rebbe, he should conduct himself very, very regally because a rebbe is royalty, and he should dress the part and act the part. But he definitely but privately, he wanted to relate to his chassidim. He was living a life of poverty within within affluence, and so he specifically did not have soles put on his boots so the bottom of his feet which were bleeding and cracking against the ice under, under them he wanted to feel the pain of the Hasidim so and he had many great sons it's interesting that the Tsar of Russia Regina, Regina I think is in Russia and the Tsar of Russia had him banished from the country because he felt a little bit threatened by the way he was dressing and he was living like a czar, there can't be, You can't have two kings in one country. He felt that the level of, of affluence and, and, you know, and ostentatiousness that the Rebbe was, could only compete against him, so he had him kicked out. So he went across the border to a city called um, Sadiger. Anyone ever hear of the Sadiger Hasidus? It's another branch of Rishon Hasidus also. The Rebbe dresses very regally and acts with great pomp and circumstance. And there was a great dynasty of uh, of Rebbes from the Rishoner branches. And one of the things, one of the minhagim of the Rishoner Rebbe and all of his descendants, and they branch out into many Hasidic dynasties, like I said, was that he would give a tish, Everyone know what a tish is? Like a like we're going to have tonight in Mitzvah Um A two-bashvat tish right after Mayer at 10.15. I'd love to see every single one of you there. It's going to be a shmak. I think we're having sushi. We're going to have music. We're going to have tea lights. You don't eat those. You just look at them. But, uh, but um, the, uh, it's, it's a very special experience. I really would love for each of you. Have, has anyone ever just, out of curiosity, been to one of the tishen that I've given yeshiva? So those of you that have, I hope, you know, look back fondly and want to come back, and the ones that have not, it's it's Kadai to come. It's a really beautiful experience. I don't know exactly what I'm saying yet, but it should be good. Um, So normally, I'm not a Hasidic Rebbe at all, but normally the word tish means a a table. And it comes from the fact that at a Rebbe's table, you... Sing and you, and then the Rebbe says Tyra, and then they sing a little some more, and then the Rebbe says more Tyra. Uh, and a lot of the Hasidic Sfarm that we have are really, they didn't, the Rebbe didn't write, like the Svasemis didn't sit down and write his Tyra up, but it was, I don't think he did at least, but it was what he said over at different Titian that he gave throughout the year, every Shabbos and Yontiv, and then they gathered that Tyra and they wrote it all in books, and every single you know, every single year is delineated after the piece or before the peace. And these were a Titian that were given throughout the year. So that's normally how it works by Hasidim, However, in Rijin it's different. Rijan they they sing, but the Rebbe doesn't speak. Rebbe doesn't say any tairah. All he does is he sits in silence, total silence, except for the Nigunim, they sing nigunim and then they stop and Hasidim say that in Rishon, one served Hashem through silence, allowing deep contemplation of who one really is. So, it's you're you're learning a lot by being silent. Sometimes you learn the most by not talking. And the rabbis of Rishon, they they don't talk, not because they have nothing to say; they have plenty to say in terms of Torah. But they want their Hasidim to listen to what they're not saying and to be able to, from that holy experience be able to learn a lot of lessons that perhaps they wouldn't be able to learn if they were just hearing the Rebbe say, Tyra. There's a story told of a simple yet insightful non-Jewish custodian of the Besmerish of the Regina Rebbe. Asked to relate what happens at the Grand Rabbi's tish, this non-Jewish custodian said the following. He says, I'm not really sure what takes place. What I do know is that the holy rabbi sits at the head of the table, surrounded by his followers. He sits there and does not say a word while his followers listen carefully to what he does not say. That was a non-Jewish custodian who was reporting what, the, what happens at Origener Tish. So it would be great to have a picture of the Tish of, of Origin. I'd like to see what that looks like. Definitely a video to see him not speaking and he having the seeing what the chassidim who were listening to him not speaking look like. So Bar Hashem, we do have a picture like that, not of the Rijna Rebbe, because the Rijna Rebbe lived, you know, a few hundred years ago before the camera was invented. But there is a there was a Rebbe called the Husiatinar Rebbe or Hossiatina Rebbe. And he was a descendant of the Rijner, and he conducted his, his Hasidic court in the same manner as his great-great-grandfather, his great-grandfather. And we have a picture of him. He's sitting and thinking. He's deep in thought. And he's communicating the highest realms of thought in utter silence. And you see the chassim, they're sort of looking at the camera, but you see that they're taking in what the Rebbe is not saying. Okay, let's do one more. Okay. I don't know if we ever did this one before, but it's quite interesting, I think. Um, anyone ever hear of President Jimmy Carter? So Jimmy Carter does not go down in history as being, you know, the best president. He was a one-term president and uh, the country was not doing well at all. I remember there was, like, a big oil crisis. And I remember this as a kid. It was it was probably uh, in the mid-1970s. So maybe I was, uh, you know, I don't know. No, Whenever I was young, it was 1979. Um, so I must have been about uh, seven years old or something. Uh, so he... uh he wasn't a great president like i remember they they you know there was a big oil crisis they told instead of dealing with like the uh the opec countries and getting the oil you know for cheaper or whatever he he got on on tv and he said everybody should wear sweaters this winter it's not what people necessarily want here. it might be a good so for your grandmother to tell you but you don't want the president telling you to wear sweaters you deal deal with the crisis like you get us cheap oil again but you know and then i ran at the end of his uh his presidency, you know, took hostages, and it wasn't good. It was just an it was it was just a disaster. You know, he was also perceived as being anti-Semitic, and you know, he wasn't really so nice to the state of Israel. Anyway, those are the negatives about him. But one positive uh, snapshot in history, I guess, was that he invited, in the end of 1979. Uh, a lot of the illustrious Hasidic rebbes to the White House, uh, including Rab Moshe Teitelbem, who is the Satma Rebbe, Reb Shleima Halberstam, who is the Rebbe of Babov. Remember, I think last week we had the Babov Rebbe, he was the one that was feeding pigeons in a park um, out of his hand. Reb Mordechai Hager, who is the Rebbe of Vishnitz Munsi, Rebbe here in Muncie. And the meeting was described in the press as the first time any president had ever received such a delegation of Hasidic leaders. Rabbi Teitelbaum, who was the, the Satmar Rebbe, thanked President Carter for receiving them, and he opened the gathering. Rabbi Halberstam, who was the Rebbe of uh, Babov, then recited a special prayer for the president to visibly move Mr. Carter. You know, there's a there's special tefilos that you say, Nice Shulam You know that he gives uh, he gives to the uh, kings wisdom and uh, and salvation. And the and, and it moved, the President Carter was moved by the fact that this old rabbi was was giving him a special blessing, and the rabbis proceeded to discuss the needs of their communities with the president such as education and attempting to preserve the Jewish cemeteries in Eastern Europe. But whatever the speech was about, I think the the, the the picture is just a beautiful picture. Like When I saw the picture, I wanted it in the book, just because it's a historic picture to see a president of the United States with. It wasn't just a uh, room of, of Jews. It was like these are very, very prominent Hasidic leaders of the largest uh, Hasidus in America, Babov and Vizhnitz and... And, uh, and and Satmar, these are, you know, Hasidus of thousands and thousands of people. And you have a, you know, there's a photographer taking pictures in the background and you see, like, the beautiful stately White House room with, with flags. And uh, it's just nice to see that, you know, they were invited and that they came and, uh, and they discussed with the president. They all looked like they were in a good mood. And the president seems very happy. And so sometimes even... Presidents that, you know, have a bad reputation, sometimes there is there's good in everything. A lot of times uh, people, even if overall they don't have a, they, they get this image of being anti-Semitic, they also uh, could do, do, th- good, do good things sometimes, or a lot of times, and sometimes it's just a stereotype and it's not <coughs> even true. So here is, a, here is a good example of that.